My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. The world of cannabis is a mixed bag that includes everyone from industry founders with a primal connection to the plant, to carpetbaggers lured by the prospect of getting in on the ground floor of the next big thing. Ted Leidy, the man behind the premier West Coast brand Alien Labs, is among the former. Born into a household of growers in Northern California, he learned the ropes working his way up from local dealer to dispensary doorman to dispensary manager to his exalted position today as an industry elder who's been able to bring the business into the 21st century and make it legitimate. Welcome, Ted Leidy. Thank you, David. It's quite the intro. Appreciate it. Sure, man. Did you feel like an industry elder? I'm starting to, definitely. But, you know, I've (laughs) never really, like, considered my position. I've never, like, you know, contemplated it. And like, I see a lot of people in my, you know, the few of us that started that kind of like, you know, have this air of their, their shit doesn't stink. And, uh, I never got that. And I think like, that's a big draw for alien labs is like, we never went industry, you know, quote unquote, we've always been real connected to the culture and the streets and, uh, still pride myself on how, you know, I still buy most of my shit on the, off the black market. You know, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. So <laughs> is that because it's better than the, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, most of it, I mean, a lot of my homies that are still growing, you know, still making hash. Um, I love to smoke hash and rosin. That's definitely up there. Some of my favorite stuff and the, the good stuff, you know, besides seven ten labs, the good stuff isn't really available on the rec market. Um, you know, besides our own stuff, which I just get sick of, I, I love trying and exploring new, uh, new flavors, new, new things, everything in life. I love to just explore the new stuff, new food, new clothes, new everything, you know? So, um, when it comes to my preferences for weed and hash, it's no different. And, you know, I love my own shit. We do great collabs with rosin and hash with Calia. We, we grow great flour, but it's always fun to just experiment and try new things. So I'm always out there looking for the next big thing. Do you think it's getting better, the cannabis in general? And and what does it better mean? You know, is it just more THC? No, I think it's fresh. I think a lot of it has to do with freshness, like, um, you know, freshness. There's a lot of small batch uh, growers out there and hash makers that just are getting the product to the, the market so much fresher. You know, there's no time for it to degrade. And I think freshness and quality really go hand in hand for me. Um, it's It's always top of mind when I'm trying to you know, make better products is how, how much faster can we get this to the customer in California? There's so many steps that has to go to the supply chain and, you know, we're also in Arizona and in a place like Arizona, it goes to the customer so much quicker, you know, two weeks it's, it's on the shelves and in California, it's like 30 to 45 days of testing and, you know, moving it around to package it and then getting it dropped off and then getting it on the shelves. There's just a lot more moving parts. So I think freshness is the big thing, but also just speed, you know, like even being able to pop seeds and having a, 
for us, it takes about a year and a half to get from a seed to a full production run of a strain. And um, I know that, you know, if, if you have more space, you could do that a lot quicker, especially if you're on a smaller scale, because, you know, you only have to keep a few moms or whatever it is. It's just faster. So it's fresher and it's more innovative on the black market. I mean, these are all reasons why the, you know, there's very few brands on the rec market that are innovative in my, in my opinion. Um, it's actually made me like a little complacent for our spot because there's just not a whole lot of competition out there in my view. Well, you're talking about quality competition. Yeah. Quality and just like innovation, both, but definitely I think of them as one thing. When I think of quality, I think of innovation, you know, freshness, actual product quality. It, it It's a big, pretty encompassing umbrella. Well, that's more, you know, money comes into it. And as we see, it's inevitable, it's growing, it's, it's going national eventually. Do you find that it's harder to compete because of the marketing aspect of the whole business where people will, I know you were very instrumental in fact in the early days of understanding the importance of a brand as opposed to just product, you know, people would trust you. You were a local guy, right? People would come to you. They knew you had the good stuff, but eventually when you go into these uh, stores and things is you need to have a brand and that requires a lot of money to create. Yeah. Something that we didn't have. So we had to do a lot of grassroots stuff, but as far as marketing and cannabis, man, it's still so tough. You know, there isn't really, you can do what I call like traditional marketing, which is like billboards, magazine ads, you know, things of that nature, just like traditional marketing that any Coca-Cola, Pepsi would do. And then you can have this like kind of grassroots connection to the culture that, that propels you. There's a couple companies that like wrangle the data, you know, in the cannabis space. And for all the looks that we can get, you know, we're, we're definitely top two. Uh, as far as in that premium space and and to do so with literally no marketing budget just kind of tells you the strength of the culture um, and where we came from. So when you talk about culture, what is it that you're thinking about? You know, the people still in the trenches, in the sessions, growing their six lighter at their house, you know, creating quality weed, the people that didn't really get to transition into the legal industry, uh, you know, for the most part. The culture is the people that you see, you know, at Spanibus year after year, you know, going there just to celebrate, you know, the the plant and uh, weed and and the family and the friends that we've made along the way. You know, we're connected um, with a lot of brands that I consider pioneers in the space. You know, uh, Puffco connected, uh, Jungle Boys. You know, all the all the guys that you know really kind of set forth to make cannabis brands in California and then to be the world leading brands, because I don't see any other state. I don't see any other place, you know, innovating like California brands have done. And especially like the handful of us that were first like cookies, you know, and the ones I mentioned before, the culture is basically just us, you know, the people that are just doing it because they love the shit and they love to smoke weed, green dog, you know, a lot of good brands out there. Do you feel like that's a disappearing or, you know, that with the new younger people coming in who haven't had that experience, that's good. That's your market, right? As, as things move on, there's a lot of younger people coming, getting obviously interested and exploring. Yeah, you know, we find that it's mostly uh, like millennials, basically millennials and up, you know, that's kind of, 
our demographic. You know, the Gen and Z people are much more interested in pre-rolls and vapes. And although we have vapes, it's not really like at the forefront of our product catalog, right? And I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head with that is that this, I don't think that it's going away for sure. The cannabis culture as we know it is going away. It's, it's never going to be what it once was. I, I'd say, you know, 2014 to 2017 is probably the peak of the really good cannabis era where everything was just super high quality, really innovative. You're getting new products, new flavors, new strains. Now everything's pretty much, a, I, it's funny too, because I see it as like a circle. I'll, I'll see people come out with their, you know, their big idea for a brand. And I'm like, damn, you guys weren't around when uh, someone already did that in 2012, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole thing. So it's just, it's really interesting to me as far as like just being in this for so long, seeing what has worked and what hasn't, and just seeing people come up with ideas that they believe are new, but just have already been done. Let's step back a little bit. You said you've been in here, you know, for a long time. So when do you mark your beginning of your being in it? Uh, we started Alien Labs in 2013. So uh, we're coming up on 10 years as a brand. But my dad's side of the family, my aunt and my uncles grew pot. So the house I was born in um, was a pot farm. And then in high school, I started um, selling packs to, you know, out of towners that would come in. Me and my buddy Tommy would, you know, go to my uncle's and pick up pounds of early girl, whatever the hell he was growing that season, you know, for the cheap. And then we'd flip them. Most of the time we just split a point, you know, that was how it was back then. You'd get, you know, you sell 20 packs and get 50 bucks on each one, make a thousand dollars for the week and you're pumped. And then I started growing a little bit in my closet at my house and uh, didn't really pan out too well. And then after I graduated high school, um, still doing the pack thing, when I was about 21, I moved to San Francisco. And that's when I kind of saw the industry uh, becoming something more than what it was at the time. San Francisco had full-blown pot stores that were like Apple stores. Like I, I hear that comment a lot. Like this is the Medbin opened the Apple store of New York pot, you know, and it's like they were doing that in San Francisco back in, you know, 2006, 2007. Um, so I kind of saw the writing on the wall then and, and it kind of, you know, spurred my imagination into what it could be. Um, after living in San Francisco and, you know, taking in the pot scene, I was like one of the first, I was a 4,516, I think, member of the Green Door, which is still like a legendary pot club. They had a lot of the best weed. Um, at that time. And then Divinity Tree was another one that was just so good. And just seeing all the different strains that people would come in and they were unbranded. And, and you could see, it, you know, anyone that was a fan of, you know, uh, consumer packaged goods could tell that it was going to evolve and be different. And this is like right around the era where Cookies is getting their start at the Hemp Center. You know, they're starting to push out big stuff. And, um, I moved to Sacramento and got a job as a doorman at a dispensary called All About Wellness that was downtown. And then um, I set up my first few lights. You know, I grew grape ape. I did a little grow in San Francisco with my buddy, but it was like in a closet. We grew a green crack and a strain called Quarkle, which were super cool strains. We had a bunch of issues, but that was the first like full term harvest that I did. And then I moved to Sacramento. I put up my own room and I uh, grew some grape ape. Um, a bunch of other just strains you could get from clone, like straight from the store. 
And at the same time, I'm working at this dispensary, kind of learning the industry and just seeing how it's changing people's lives. And, um, you know, this is when really, you know, products were coming out that were, I remember the first product that I can remember coming out was a bang, uh, this chocolate bar called bang. And it was the owner himself. He came in to try and sell his product. He thought prop 19 was going to pass. So he made this like elaborate packaging with chocolate and he was going to sell it to Macy's and Nordstrom's, but you know, prop 19, which is the first California legalization initiative, it didn't end up passing. Um, so he ended up, you know, selling it to the recreational or the medical market, which was my favorite edible um, back then. Really good chocolate. He was a chocolatier. His name was Scott. And that was another big turning point for me where I was like, wow, like this is how it's going to go for sure. It was like an affirmation of all the things that I had thought, you know, previously about the industry. Like this is going to be branded. Everything's going to be, you know, just like it is in a 7-Eleven, essentially. Like you don't just go to 7-Eleven and buy gummy worms in a Ziploc bag like people were doing with the weed, right? So then I moved back to Reading and I, I started managing a dispensary out there for my then later to be partner Tyler. Um, he had a dispensary called Medicali and uh started just selling his product. He had a really good OG cut that he was growing. It was called Mars OG. It was called OG Kush when he got it, but then they would take it down south and sell it as Mars. And then uh I started the um feds cut us cut us off. They sent the landlords all the landlord letters back in the day where they were like, hey, we can seize your building. And the landlords didn't like that. So they kicked us out. And uh, I started trimming for a guy that we called the old man. And I saved up enough money to build my first six lighter. And uh, that's the that's when, you know, I harvested a room and I was like, I'm going to try and sell this. And I, I was like, hey, like we're alien labs. You know, I made an Instagram to kind of show off the progress and the weed. And then I remember the first I took it to a store called North Star. I first vended to two different spots. North Star was one of the very first ones. And uh, I took it down there and this guy hit me up on Instagram. He's like, man, I loved your flower. That was like some of the best things I ever smoked. And that's when I was like, all right, bet I'm going to go hard on this, you know, and here we are 10 years later, you know, still number one, eh, whatever, number five, we're, that's fine too. <laughs> but you know, whatever we are, number something, you know, we're in the top there. 10 at least. <laughs> yeah. And you're also very expensive, right? Uh, it's a, what makes it more expensive? Uh, expenses, like we don't, it's not like we just set an arbitrary price, you know, it's, the price of our cannabis has to do with the cost of goods. We, we aren't, we weren't very scaled. We're, we actually just lowered our price because now we're scaled. Like before we had 180 lights, we couldn't keep the weed on the shelf, couldn't keep the weed on the menu. The weed hits the menu, it's gone in less than a minute. You know, so the price kind of is supply and demand economics, right? It, it cogs plus, you know, the demand was so overwhelming that, you know, how could you? And then in COVID, we raised prices because as fucked up as that sounds like couldn't literally couldn't get, make enough. And stores were saying, hey, we'll pay more if we can get it. Like, let us be the people that get it and we'll pay more, you know. And so um, that kind of made a little price run up. But now we just opened up our second facility. Uh, we partnered with Connected in 2016. That's how we were able to transition into the legal market because nobody in Reading, where we were from, there was no legalization happening. They were a banned county, you know. And so um, with my partner, Tyler, and my partner, Scott, who Scott was definitely instrumental in, in uh, formulating the brand with me. Me and him had been best friends since third grade. And we just like 
you know, geeked out on all the different aspects of the brand and what we could do. I moved to SAC and then Tyler followed shortly behind and we, we linked up with connected and they gave us that 180 light grow, um, you know, in exchange for distribution and all these other things. And then eventually we partnered up with them. Um, they acquired us and now, you know, here we are, I've, it's the same, you know, nothing changed. I think we're probably like the one story of a good acquisition in cannabis. Like I still run the day to day and no one tells me what to do. There's no, you know, alien labs gets to do what alien labs wants to do. And probably, uh, much to the chagrin sometimes of them, because, you know, we sometimes have different ideas about what, uh, where we want to be and what we want to be. I, but my partner, Caleb, he's fucking great. They, you know, he's one of the the OG OGs in the space connected group, all the weed for cookies up until about 2017. Um, so if you ever smoked the cookies, you know, it was grown by those guys and just incredible growers, incredible mentor. And so, yeah, now that's where we're pretty much at today, but we just lowered our prices. So, uh, much cheaper, $55 an eighth. So that'll be a big, I think we'll see a lot of reverberation from that. We already get pushback from stores saying, Hey, that's like the price of our in-house brand. You know, it's like, well, man, you got to kind of, the market changes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you got to, you're going to have to lower that then if it's not selling. Thinking about a couple of things here. One is California. You talk a lot about that. That's where you're from. That's what you know. And here I'm in New York. And we're still like catching up, you know. We're yeah, I got a lot of boys out there in New York killing it. Shout out to the Astro Club. I don't know if you know about the Astro Club, but of course, yeah, they're yeah, know those guys well. I love them. That that type of shit is so inspiring to me, like because it reminds me so much of the beginnings of this. Like a lot of people in New York, I know Happy Monkey is killing it. You know, there's a few different people that are just trying to start up and and get it going. You know, in a gray in a gray area. You know, that's a gray area of law. And and those are the people that are pioneers. And and I think that when I think about how our success, like it has to do a lot with, you know, the fact that we were putting weed in jars with our labels on it when people were still scared to show their face, you know, and, and being that that's what it takes to be a, you know, a pioneer. And if you're able to play that position into the legal market and then into, you know, your branding and everything, like all those things compound. And that's why when I think about other brands, like I don't think there will ever be brands like cookies or alien labs or jungle boys or connected again. Like, I think that, you know, there'll be brands and they'll be great, but they won't have that connection to the time when this shit was all different, you know? So it's too late, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no marketing budget that's going to afford you the authenticity that, being in here in 2013, you know, in 2012, as your brand, there's just nothing you can do to get that kind of, you know, magic essentially. Right. Cause it's a time and place. And, uh, you know, that's has moved on. Many people are in it like you, others aren't, some are still underground. Yeah. And here we're still like grappling with the legalization and where it's going to go. What do you have any recommendations for New York that uh, could do better than LA? Yeah. I mean, just, man, let people in, let people in, you know, I already saw that they just said that, you know, the first people that are going to be eligible for licenses are people that have been, you know, convicted of a marijuana crime. And I think that's great. Like that's exactly how it should have been. I think California went into it. You know, everyone talks about like systemic things, right? Like, you know, foundational racism in the police and, 
I think California tried to curb that with our industry. They said, you know what we don't want is uh, criminals. We don't want the criminals in the foundation of this. They don't want the guys like us that were like, hey, we're going to do this. Fuck you if you don't like it, you know, because that's going to go on and they're never going to be able to tell us what to do. Still, San Francisco, when the co- when the pandemic hit, they tried to tell us to shut down the, the San Francisco Connected Store. And you know what we said? Nah, we're not shutting down. You guys can fuck off. And, uh, you know, six hours later, the mayor was like, uh, cannabis is an essential business. And then 10 hours after that, California said, well, cannabis is an essential business. So, <laughs> you know, if they can't tell you what you, to do and they can't control you and they already know that, then, you know, their best bet is to get everyone that wasn't following the rules and playing along from the beginning out of the industry. And, you know, I think that's what the barriers were set up for. So I hope New York learns from that. And it looks like they have, man, New York's laws have been super cool. Like being able to smoke marijuana anywhere you can smoke cigarettes, that's huge, you know, and, it, and it's huge for making New York what I think is going to be the biggest cannabis market over California. So how are you going to be involved? Are you going to have grows in New York? Oh, or? definitely. We're, we're looking at New York. Alien Labs will be in New York uh, for sure. I want to team up with some guys like the Astor Club and kind of, you know, consult and help um, with their stuff, too, because I just that's so valuable and so, you know, inspirational to me that, like, I want to be a part of that New York culture from the foundation and not just coming in like as a California brand. You know, um, I think it's cool when other we were in a few other states and uh, we've had great success in those states. But I also like love to see like in Arizona, there's a couple of brands, True Med and Grow Sciences that are just killing it. And uh, it's so fun to see a different state's take on kind of the California culture, right? Because at the end of the day, marijuana, as we know it, is California's culture. Other places take part in it, but you can kind of see the, uh, you know, the reflection of yourself and all those brands. I see the reflection of myself and all those brands. I'm like, damn, you guys are doing it and you, you, you're doing it well. And you're, you're kind of trying to, you're elevating yourself into being like what I consider like some of the better California brands, even if you're not in the state like ours, you know? Yeah. Cause in New York, there's a couple of things have happened. One is, you know, people have set up these businesses where they don't directly sell weed, but they'll sell whatever the t-shirt and you get the eighth. Yeah. That's how it was here too. In the beginning, man, they like, they, people do the same thing. I see all the, it's such a parallel to early California that, you know, it's just, I can see those guys if they're able to, uh, you know, if they're able to move in the right way and, and, um, you know, politic is what I call it. Like you got to politic. There's no way around that. You got to, you know, um, network politic, figure out how to get the business aspect of it down. Cause a lot of those guys that have those spots are still just trappers at heart. The business aspect is what really elevates you from something that is cool and everyone likes to something that's like a real viable business, you know? Well, also like a trend here is like almost every other block or sometimes two on a block, these smoke shops that are very generic, you know, just have all this plastic in the window looking basically to sell paraphernalia on the front side. But if you go in, they'll also offer you a few, some pre-rolls if you wanted to buy some. So they're, you know, sort of kind of out, out of control at the same time as, uh, you know, they're taking these small steps toward legalization. But meanwhile, the, everybody's kind of going wild doing whatever they want. Yeah, definitely. I think that'll be kind of probably a gift and a curse on the legal industry once it, once it uh, comes up comes around because you know california 
was one of the only states. I mean, I, I know Colorado kind of had this going on as well, but not like California did. Like California has always been known for its weed, right? So when the legal market hit, like there was no chance in hell that the black market was going to go away. And now still to this day, the legal operators, you know, if you're not, if you're not a big name brand, like no one's doing great. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Um, but even if you're just a new person trying to, you know, market your product and get products into the stores, like the black market is a tough thing to beat here. And I see that happening the same in New York. Like as, as long as, you know, people are able to go into these little smoke shops and buy pre-rolls for cheap, like what's going to be someone's incentive to go in and buy a tax product. That's probably going to be triple the amount for, you know, half the quality. They're trying so hard to control it. And by doing so, they're sort of letting it loose at the yeah. same time. There was an article in the paper the other day about Washington Square Park, which people are now set up like just tables and yeah, selling. I've seen that. I'm going to be out in New York on 420, man. I'm excited to see <laughs> the culture for sure. Yeah, it's interesting how it's changed. Also, just a side topic of gambling, which is one of my pet peeves, that now that they've legalized gambling— in New York, and it's become such a fixture of TV sports, which I watch a lot of at least. And it's like the ads, like 80% of the ads for every sports event is gambling. Oh, I, I, that's interesting. I didn't know that they had legalized gambling. Yeah. So it's weird because here's like a vice that's heavily regulated. Suddenly, I didn't look at the politics of how come it became legal so quickly. But not only is it legal, they can advertise it on TV. You know, and obviously it's addictive. And I know from my own son who's in college, who's just telling me that, you know, a lot of his friends are just sort of like losing money left and right. Oh, definitely. I see the same thing. I see a lot of my friends uh, betting on sports betting online. You know, it's a huge yeah. thing right now. It's like, that's funny. That point is, that's well, well said. It's like, yeah, here's this one thing, gambling, where they're allowing advertising on TV and all this other shit. And with weed, which, you know, right. it's really bad. They don't allow any of that things, those things, you know, even in California. So that's interesting. Yeah, good. Because uh, it struck me and I'm like, because I hate those ads because I don't gamble. Plus, I, I feel like it ruins sports. And now you saw one guy was suspended in football because he bet. I've heard that, uh, you know, there's a lot more gambling going on among the owners and the people in the sports. Like one guy, tell you know, one owner allegedly telling his team to, you know, lose the game, get, offering them like a hundred thousand, oh you know, crazy things like that. So it really opens the door for all kinds of abuse. Yeah. Gambling's the age old, uh, crime, you know, the crime <laughs> without a crime. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the old might be the oldest profession, you know, among, yeah, among the, <laughs> so how does a man like yourself live? You know, do you have a big house? What's your lifestyle? No, man, like? I'm a very modest. I don't, I never got caught up in it. That's what I was saying. Like it never really hit me like that. Like all my friends were Rolexes and all the shit. And I'm just like, not that guy. You know, I, I was one of the first, I mean, I was the first person in my family to even buy my own house. It's nice, but it's nothing crazy. And uh, we don't, like the legal industry doesn't really make money. Like if I wanted to just make, if I was just doing this to make money, I would have stayed in the trap. You know what I mean? Alien Labs was doing just fine in the trap. We could have stayed in the trap, but to me, this is bigger than that. And this is like, you know, leading what legalization and rec brands could look like, 
you know, if they focused on quality and if they cared about the people that they serve and, you know, the plant has got us here and, and I still care so much about the plant. Like I never really tried to milk it for all it's worth, you know, even despite what our prices say, you know, the, the fact is, is our wholesale cost at our highest was like $32.50, $35 an eighth, which is nothing when you really consider that. And the price comes from the 30% tax plus the, you know, markup that the store applies to the tax, to the, uh, to the product. So the stores typically, you know, they do a keystone, which means doubling up the price. So they'll get it at 35, sell it at 70 plus tax. And when you add that 30, 30% tax, you know, that's $28 worth of tax. That could be a $98 eighth out the, out the shelf. So, um, yeah. you know, the only person I, I joke, but this is really true. The only person making money in California cannabis is California. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And what about other uh, hobbies or music? Would you like, what kind of music? Do you oh like? yeah. I'm in the nerd. I love music. I, I'm a big nerd. Uh, also anime, <laughs> comics, you know, uh, movies, all, all the things that, you know, pop culture, that's where a lot of alien labs gets a lot of its, you know, um, identity from is things like that. And just, um, I love music. We've been super blessed to be, I've been listening to New York rap, like, I've been listening to all rap since I was a kid. I was like one of the only kids in my school that listened to rap besides my buddy, Scott, who, you know, started Alien Lab with me. Um, there you go. And we, you know, have now met just so many rappers that I idolized, you know, all the Griselda team. They, they love smoking Alien Labs. Um, you know, New York rap was hugely influential for me. We got to meet the Wu-Tang, smoke with Wu-Tang and Young Thug and Travis Scott and all these guys that are just like, you know, on top of the world. And that's, that's been definitely a cool thing um, for me. And just like a little fanboy moment, you know, it's like, damn, we've got to smoke with a lot of, a lot of cool people. Uh, we smoked with John C. Riley, which is definitely top tier. <laughs> like. He's, that's a big one. He's fucking super funny. He's so funny. And uh, yeah, that's been cool. Really cool aspect of it is just like getting to meet the people that influenced me to do things. Right. But yeah, man, video games, nerd shit, like smoking weed. It's pretty much my gig. You talked about outcast culture. So this is what, what you define as outcast culture, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that is really like, you know, all those things are not, especially when I was like, those things are now not really outcast culture. Like now those things are popular, you know, in, in, in pop culture, like, you know, anime, video games, those things. But at the time, you know, back when I was in high school and, you know, you know, five to 10 years after that, that was like, you didn't tell people you watched anime in your high school, you know, it was like your little secret, you know, the, the, those guys got picked on. Um, unfortunately that was just how it was, but like the tough guy culture and shit like that, that was alive in writing seemed to like kind of more subside by the time we got, you know, into the mid, you know, 2010s, or sometime around then where it just became cool to just be yourself and just, you know, show who you are. And I think that's really what alien labs was always about is just like being yourself and showing who you are. And, you know, despite not, not really following the trends, because, you know, the, the big thing when I started alien labs was like rapper, like burner having cookies and it wasn't a brand yet, but it was a clothing company, but it was like, kind of all centered around that like urban kind of culture, right? Like uh, rappers and, you know, streetwear. 
And uh, that's why I was like, you know, we're not going to let's do some nerdy shit, you know, like aliens, you know, and we'll find our people through that. And I think it kind of became like this inclusive thing where like the rest of the brands that I know were kind of like, you know, to themselves. And we were like, no, like join us and, you know, check us out, like check this shit out. Like, look at what we're doing. Look at what this plant has done for us. And uh, I don't think there's many other brands that people have seen from the very beginning, like they have with alien labs, you know um, I know when I started those things, like there was, I didn't know at the time I started, but there was like jungle boys was already kind of killing it. And they were pretty big already. And then cookies had their thing going on. So I didn't get to see those from the beginning, but with alien labs, I, I still see people hit me up and they'll be like, damn, man, I remember like the first day you guys started, you know, and just to see that is inspiring for people. And I think that we've inspired a lot of people and that I've inspired a lot of people to really chase after their dreams because I'm just a fucking poor kid from Redding, California. Like my parents were poor. My mom, single mom worked at a gas station, you know, um, and I did it, you know, I fucking, I did it like that's, and I just did it with relentless pursuit. Like I never gave up, even though like I wanted to all the time, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And there was days where I'd be like, man, fuck this shit. Like I'm going to get a regular ass job. And, uh, you know, just put the, put the weed away because, you know, at the time we were doing this, it wasn't really like, yeah, weed's legal. Like go get a job in weed. It was like, oh, I don't know, man. Like you're kind of a drug dealer, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, it still had the stigma. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely still had the stigma. And so I love that part of it. Like when people hit me up and they're like, man, you inspired me to start. And all these brands I see that are kind of like, okay, like that's kind of our aesthetic, but like, I love it. Like, thanks for fucking liking it, you know? Cool. Thanks, Ted Lighty, for being my guest today on Light Culture Podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Very much appreciated. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at ShopBurb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. <laughs>